Well, what's up, Lake Point family? Great to see you guys this weekend. Uh, my name is Mike, and I get to be on the teaching team here at this amazing place. And I want to welcome our campuses and those of you that might be joining us online today as well. And I just want to say I think it's so cool that many of you are doing what Pastor Josh talked about a couple of weeks ago. You're just making showing up here a regular rhythm of your life. So, so grateful for you. And uh, even, even on like spring break time change weekend, you're here. So thanks for being here. If it's your first time, super grateful for you and hope that you find this a, just a welcoming place today. And if you're joining us online as well, super grateful for you wherever you're at uh, today. Hey, I, I ran across something recently uh, <laughs> that uh, talks about what if brands were really honest with their slogans. Now, if you work for one of these companies or you love these products, just relax. No harm intended, just having a little fun here. But have you ever thought about what they really should say? Like, for, for instance, uh, Netflix, spend more time searching than actually watching, right? <laughs> what about this one? They just need to be truthful about this. Just buy it. That's all they want you to do. Just buy it. What about this one? Victoria's Secret, lowering a woman's self-esteem since 1977, right? <laughs> How about this one? WebMD. <laughs> Convince yourself you have a terminal illness. You ever done that? Or on there and go, oh my goodness, I think I got that. My favorite fast food place, Chick-fil-A. You'll always crave it on Sundays. Just saying, right? My favorite cereal growing up, Frosted Flakes. They're okay. They're just, they're just okay, really. I love this one. IKEA. We throw in extra parts just to mess with you. If you ever gotten something, you know what I'm talking about here. And I love this one. Motel 6. We'll leave the light on for you because you're probably in a sketchy neighborhood. <laughs> now, that was just all that was just for fun. But it seems like to me that honesty is becoming a rare commodity these days. Well, I mean, what's real and what's not? And you know, as well as I do, with all the apps and all the filters we have today, it's never been easier to fake appearances. You can whiten your teeth, erase your zits, smooth out your wrinkles, and shed a few pounds before you ever post that selfie. You can fake relationships, profiles, resumes, experiences, and it's never been easier than to go through life just faking fine. Faking fine. And that's what this church in Corinth was doing. They were just faking fine. They, were, they weren't being honest with their branding. They were pretending to be one thing while projecting quite another. We're in this series that we're calling Following Jesus in a Jacked Up Church. And honestly, we've already established there is no other kind because we're all a little jacked up, right? None of us are perfect. And because the church is a collection of imperfect people like us, no perfect church exists either. But this particular church in Corinth that we've been looking at was really jacked up. All kinds of jealousy and infighting and confusion and factions developing and sexual junk and lawsuits and embarrassing scandals. Plus, they were turning a blind eye to all of that that was going on inside of their church, while at the same time judging everybody else on the outside of the church. And as their founder, the Apostle Paul, has to call them out on it. And he really wanted to do it in person, but instead he was only able to write this letter to them. And so when he gets to chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, I can almost see him kind of shaking his head as he says, you know, on top of all the other stuff that I've been hearing about, I also just received a report of scandalous sex within your church family a kind that wouldn't be tolerated even outside the church. 
One of your men is sleeping with his stepmother, and you're so above it all, it doesn't even phase you. Shouldn't this break your hearts? Shouldn't it bring you to your knees in tears? Shouldn't this person and his conduct be confronted and dealt with? And the answer is yes, yes, and yes. For this guy's sake and for the sake of the church, to get him back on track, to get him walking once again in the light, somebody just needed to lovingly and gently and humbly and courageously speak some truth to him. But nobody would. They just pretended it all wasn't happening. And as a result, this guy was sinking deeper into darkness, and the church just went along faking fine, saying, we're so different than those, those people out there in the world. We follow God. When the truth about them was, they were exactly like their culture, just pretending that they weren't. So Paul goes on. He, he says, your flip and callous arrogance in these things, it bothers me. You pass it off as a small thing, but it's anything but that. Yeast, too, is a small thing, but it works its way through a whole batch of bread dough pretty fast. He's saying to them, listen, this is affecting everybody, and it's killing your influence in the culture. He tells them, he says, you, you might remember how, how I wrote to you earlier about not conforming to your culture and doing all the stuff that everybody in your culture is doing. Now, of course, when I said that, I did not mean that you shouldn't associate with outsiders. I wasn't talking about cutting yourselves off from the world, because that would be impossible. And besides, Jesus called us to be the light of the world. So I'm certainly not saying stay away from those who are out there in the world. But what I am saying is that you shouldn't act as if everything is just fine, just fine, when a friend who claims to be a Christian is promiscuous or crooked. You shouldn't act as if everything is just fine when a friend who claims to be a Christian is flipped with God or rude to friends, gets drunk, or becomes greedy and predatory. You can't just go along with this, treating it as acceptable behavior. Now, I'm not responsible for what the outsiders do, but don't we have some responsibility for those within our community of believers? And again, the answer is yes. Paul even goes on to say, if, if this guy won't listen to you, you may even have to take some courageous steps and put him outside of your fellowship for a while. And it's not being judgmental to do that. Somebody needs to love him well and love your church well enough and try to bring him back into the light. Now, Bible writers like Paul and Peter and, and James all talk about how you and I are to drop any hint of judgmental superiority toward those who are outside the church. Self-righteousness is such a turnoff to people. Plus, it is very, very far from the heart of Jesus. I was thinking how Jesus befriended all kinds of different people who were considered, you know, outsiders, dishonest tax collectors, prostitutes, people possessed by demons, all kinds of outsiders. In fact, the only ones he ever got angry with were those who considered themselves the insiders, the self-righteous religious people. So if you and I are going to follow Jesus, it means that we have to walk with kindness and respect and grace and truth and goodness and light with those outside of the church. And in regard to each other inside the church, we have to love each other enough to call each other out on some stuff. Now, of course, we also have to drop the judgmental attitude with each other as well. You might remember how Jesus one time told us that we, we've got to look at ourselves first. We've got to take the log out of our own eye before we try to take the speck out of each other's eye. However, when he said that, it didn't mean that we close our eyes completely to what might be happening in somebody else's life. If I see something in you 
or if you see something in me that doesn't line up with Jesus' character, we ought to love each other enough to humbly and gently point it out before it wrecks our lives. I had to do that this past week with a good friend. It wasn't easy. I felt like I was going to throw up the entire time. But it was a loving thing to do. And I've had plenty of people through the years that I trust gently pull me aside and say, hey, bro, I, wanna, I, got, I got to point out something I think's become like a blind spot for you. You know how most new cars now come with those blind spot monitors or a little flashing thing on the side view mirrors? All of us need blind spot monitors in our life. We all need some people that will speak truth to us. As Josh said back in week one of this series, there's like 57 one another phrases in the New Testament. Love one another, forgive one another, spur one another on, lovingly confront one another, confess to each other, be vulnerable with each other, tell one another the truth, encourage one another, bear with one another, on and on and on it goes. The point is, we're family. We're in this together, and love requires us to be real, to be genuine. We are called to be authentic with our struggles and our imperfections, to drop the image branding thing and just honestly help each other walk in the light. Paul writes to another church in the book of Galatians. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. So we are to lovingly hold each other accountable, to not shy away from having difficult conversations, but to always do it humbly and gently with the realization of how much we also need the grace of God. And I'm telling you, gang, churches like that become these attractive, safe places where anybody can find the life-changing grace of God. And they also become these authentic communities where together, together, people from all kinds of walks of life can spur each other on to become more and more like Jesus. I read a great illustration years back by an author named John Lynch, and it resonated so much with me personally because it, it was my story. I read it and went, that's, that's my story. So I, t I took it and rewrote it for our purposes here. But there was a time in my life that I was looking for something real. I was searching for uh, an authentic community. I, I was looking for a meaningful way to connect with the real and true and living God. I think a lot of us have been there. I know I was. So uh, on this journey of discovering God, on my personal journey, I came to a crossroad. And I stand there and I look at the sign. There's two signs pointing down two different roads, trusting God and pleasing God. Just two roads. And I'm thinking, which, which, which direction should I go? What is, what is, what is that? What is trusting God anyway. I mean, it sounds so ethereal. It sounds kind of vague. Trusting God. Now, pleasing God, I, I, I don't really understand God's character, but I have heard. I have heard that he, he's, he's a stickler for the rules. And so may, maybe all the dissatisfaction in my life stems from the fact he's doling out punishment on me for not pleasing him all these years. So I'm thinking, I don't get this one. Trusting God, I don't quite understand. But this one, I, I, I bet I could give that a shot. Because at the very least, I want to stop making him mad at me. So I set off in this direction. And, and as I start walking down this road, I start thinking, you know, may, maybe that's it. Maybe I just need to do better. If I just do better, if I just try harder, if, if I could just please him enough, maybe get on his good side, then who knows? I'm... I'm I might even earn a spot in heaven someday. 
On my way down this road, I'm kind of comforted to see that this road has been well-worn. I mean, it's obvious that lots of people have been up and down this path through the years. So I just keep walking. And I come to this huge, impressive-looking building bearing a sign that says, Be all that God expects you to be. And I think to myself, you know what? I, I, I'm a hard worker. I'm ambitious. I'm driven. I, you know what? I can do this. I will rise up and meet all of God's expectations for me. And maybe, just maybe, if I please God, that will change everything in my life. So I walk to this huge front door, and I see a little sign on the doorknob that says, Self-Effort. I think, of course. I turn it easily because I'm pretty strong. And I walk into this enormous room with grand architecture and stained glass and marble. It's full of beautiful people. And a friendly hostess meets me there and says, Welcome to the Cathedral of Good Intentions. And I think, well, that that sounds pretty good because I like to be seen as somebody that's got good intentions, so I say thanks. You know what? I, I, I think this just might be what I've been looking for. How are you today? And before she answers, the hostess reaches in her purse and she pulls out a mask bearing a smile and says, I'm fine, just fine. How are you? The entire room grows silent waiting for my response. And I say, well, honestly, me, I'm kind of screwed up. I've been struggling with some things. I feel kind of empty. I got a bunch of questions about life. I got some big time questions about God. My life is not what I want it to be. I'm not becoming who I thought I would be. I'm pretty frustrated. I wrestle with envy. I wrestle with anger. I wrestle with insecurity. And she cuts me off and puts a finger to my lips and hands me a similar mask. And I look around and I see that everybody is wearing one. And since I want to feel accepted, I start thinking, come on, dude, you shouldn't have been so vulnerable. You shouldn't have been so real. So slowly I bring the mask up to my face and say, uh, what I meant to say was uh, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. And with that, everybody turns back to the conversations they were having. I start walking around the room and I notice there are Rules posted like everywhere, all, all kinds of lists of things communicating. Do this, and God, he, he might be pleased. Big signs like behavior modification will set you free. Signs like you'll never make it, so learn how to fake it. And there's warning signs posted at every turn saying this room is under constant divine surveillance. Don't screw up. So I think, well... Maybe that's just the way it is. I mean, these people seem to be happy. At least that's what their masks portray. You know, maybe they are discovering that striving to please God or at least keep him from being displeased is what brings deep soul satisfaction. Maybe it is keeping a, a, a list of endless rules and doing all these religious rituals that does change everything in a person's life. I at least got to give this a shot. But as days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months, and months turn in, at least for me, for years. I can't help but notice how many people in this room aren't happy. They sound a bit cynical, a bit jaded, lots of judgment, very little joy. When they do slip up and let their mask down, I can see traces of pain and hopelessness, loneliness, and the exact same emptiness that led me on my search in the, in the first place. And I try really hard. I mean, I do. But the stifling atmosphere of the room and the tightness of wearing a mask makes it hard for me to breathe. And I'm just tired of keeping up appearances. I'm tired of faking it. 
and feeling emptier than even before, I make a run for the door and I promise myself I will never step foot in that place ever again. And I'm guessing some of you have been there too. So I retrace my steps and I end up right back where I started, looking at those roads going, okay, trusting God, what, what is that? I don't, I don't get it. Maybe there's like a third road. Maybe there's like a combo road I could find here. What, what is that trusting God? It's, it's, it sounds like I'll have nothing to do but like trust God. And I can hear all those voices from the cathedral of good intentions whispering in my mind, come on, bro, you just got to stop it. Stop this. Stop that. Commit more. Try harder. Be better. Be holier. Get in line. Keep the rules. And maybe, just maybe. So as I walk down this road of trusting God, I notice it's not nearly as worn. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? If this isn't the right road, if this doesn't take me where I want to go, then I'm done. I'm done with this whole God search thing. But I got no other game plan. So I just keep walking down the road. I know I don't want to go back to where I started. And I know I don't want to go back to that joyless mask-wearing place. So as I continue to walk, I come to another less impressive-looking building, kind of simple, kind of plain. There's a welcome mat by the door, some pretty flowers out front, and a small sign above the doorknob that says, Humility. I look at that doorknob for a long time, like a long time. And I think that's it, isn't it? That's it. Because I have tried so hard. I've applied all the self-effort and willpower I got, and it's only left me frustrated and insecure. I've run out of ability. I've run out of strength. I've run out of answers. So I just stand there and I cry out, okay, God, if you are real, if anything good is to come out of this whole deal, you are going to have to do it. Because I've tried. I've searched. I'm tired. I'm empty. I can't keep doing this anymore. You got to help me. And with those words, I turn the doorknob of humility, and I walk inside. As soon as I get inside, another hostess approaches me with a kind smile, friendly voice, and says, welcome to the room of grace. And I say, well, uh, thanks. She says, how you doing? And I, I'm not falling for that again, because I've been there before. So I reach in my backpack, and I dig out my old mask, and I pull it up and say, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm just fine. And everybody in the room gets quiet. And all eyes are on me. And being gun shy from my past experience, I start to interpret their stares as stares of judgment on me. So I throw down my mask and I say, you know what? Hey, I'm not fine. Haven't been fine for a long time. I'm tired. I'm guilty. I'm lonely. I'm filled with regret. I got a mountain of shame in my life. I can't make my life work. I struggle with envy and lust and anger and bitterness. I mean, if you knew half of my daily thoughts, you would kick me out of your little self-righteous club. And I spin on my heel and I head for the door. Then I hear a voice from the back of the room say, that all you got? All right, I'll see your bad thoughts, your guilt and envy, and I'll raise you compulsive gambling, drinking, jail time, and bankruptcy. You better have more than that on your puny little list if you're going to play in our league. And I turn around and see everybody smiling. And the hostess leans over to me and says, I think he means you're welcome here. <laughs> and that guy from the back of the room comes through the crowd and embraces me in this huge bear hug. 
And I am welcomed into this family of kind, painfully real people who are experiencing the transformational grace of God. As I look around, there's not a mask to be found anywhere. And I see no endless list of rules posted, no creepy surveillance signs. Just a few signs hanging around the place that say, like, come as you are. Another sign that lets me know grace, grace happens. Another sign that says, no perfect people allowed. You matter to God. On the front wall, this big banner that reads, the room of grace is a me too kind of place. Let's work on our lives together. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And I see... I see signs plastered around the room straight from the heart of God. Like Ephesians 2 says, but God who is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you have been saved. I see another sign that says, it says, and when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. I see another one posted from Titus chapter 3. When God our Savior revealed his kindness and his love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. I turn around and I see this one from 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us? that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. And I, and I see this verse about pleasing God posted on a wall. It says, and it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And I realize in that moment that what pleases God is when someone humbly trusts God to do only what he can do, to take away sin and shame, to give them a fresh start, to give hope and freedom and joy and life, to radically transform a human heart from the inside out, to give the gift of eternal life. And I think in that moment, man, this changes everything. So welcome to the room of grace where no perfect people are allowed. At Lake Point, we believe that the end of image management and the beginning of authenticity and meaning and deep soul satisfaction stops right in front of the God of unfailing love. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, who gives grace to anyone who will humbly seek after him. I'm talking about the God who laid down his life on a cross, the one who took the rap for our sin and rebellion so that we could incredibly be declared not guilty. I'm talking about the eternal God who rose up from the dead so that we could also live forever. That God, the one true and living God, extends life and hope and salvation to anyone who is willing to drop the mask and surrender to his love and his leadership. I'm telling you, trusting God is the beginning of a new life, eternal life. And this astounding inside-out transformation. I learned to sing the song probably when I was two years old, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. To this day, it's still the most life-changing truth I've ever heard. But what has been just almost as transformational as this 
Jesus knows me. This I love. He knows the real me. He sees beyond the mask. He knows the real you. And he loves us with this radically unconditional love. And I pray that you know that you matter to God just as you are. There is a bloodstained cross that proves that. You don't get your act together and then come to God. You just come to God just as you are. Questions and all. Confusion and all. No fake and fine. No pretending. Just honestly and humbly come. I hope you know you are welcome in the room of grace. In fact, you might be sitting right now in one of the largest collections of moral screw-ups in North America. I mean, lots of messiness here, right? Some of us, we have wrestled with sexual temptation, with pornography, with pride, with ego, with materialism, with greed, with bigotry, with profanity, with alcohol, meth, heroin, coke. We've battled envy, lying, bitterness, gossip, out-of-control tempers, slander, revenge, stealing, broken relationships. We've made a boatload of really bad decisions in our life, but God is turning a bunch of jacked up people into brand new creations, and he's turning his church into this authentic community of grace and truth. Listen to me. You will find acceptance here. You will find patience here. You will find truth here. You will find empathy here. You will find vulnerability and transparency here because we're family here. You can find love and wisdom and accountability and friendship for the journey here. We believe that God loves us as we are, but he loves us way too much to leave us there. He wants to move in and change us and set us free to live for him and to be his light in this dark world. And together we're just learning to humbly and honestly surrender to God's love and leadership every day of our life, one day at a time. We're learning to let his love define who we are, become our identity. We're learning to get rooted in him and his love. We're learning to lean into his Holy Spirit and apply this truth for the freedom he wants to give us all. And we're learning to walk a new direction as a result. There's a whole bunch of us here that are walking free these days. And we're walking with purpose and passion that we never dreamed we would have. We're walking with a heart full of gratitude. Lots and lots of changed and changing lives in this place. And it all starts with walking down the road of trusting God. Just dropping the mask, getting honest, and humbly embracing what Jesus has done for you. So I want to give you a chance to do that right now. I'm just going to invite you to bow your head and all of our campuses and even if you're online, you can know that the grace of Jesus Christ saves you. You can be secure in his forgiveness. You can know that his blood totally covers your sin, past, present, future. So perhaps in humility right now, just in your own words, something from your heart, you say something like, Jesus, I'm, I'm just done. I'm done faking it. I'm done pretending. I'm throwing down my mask. I I just want something real. And I believe that you are. I believe that you're the truth. And I accept your sacrifice on the cross for my sin. I need your grace. I will trust you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. To forgive my sin. To sweep away my shame to heal my broken parts, to give me a home in heaven, to change me, 
from the inside out as I choose to follow you. Now, if you're praying a prayer like that, if that's the desire of your heart, can I just ask you to maybe slip your hand up in the air right now just for just a moment? I'd love to pray for you. Welcome to the room of grace. I encourage you to tell somebody about what's going on in your heart. Maybe you could use one of the connect cards, let us know. Set up a time to be baptized because we're in this together. We are family. Father, I can't tell you how refreshing that is to be able to say that we're family. That we are people that have been changed and are continually being changed by your amazing grace. God, this weekend as I've retraced my steps, I'm just so grateful for the journey I've been on. I'm even grateful for the time I spent just trying to please you and do all the things I thought you're supposed to do to keep you from being ticked. And God, I tell you, I'm grateful for that because it, it, it painted such a, such a contrast to who you really are. So I'm so grateful for your grace. So grateful that someone pointed me down a different road. Thank you, Jesus, for doing for all of us what we can't do for ourselves. Thank you for putting us in a family with other imperfect people who struggle with life here. But we know you and we have your Holy Spirit to help us walk free, be honest. So, so Father, I just, I just pray that today that masks would fall all over this place. And that we be honest with who we are and be transparent with each other and transparent with you so that we really could be the light of the world. And I thank you for all this. And it's in Jesus' name I'm grateful. Amen.